KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. You are listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parashat Vaishlach, Tetvav Kislev. The Erev Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel, and I'm your host, Jonathan Snowbell. Well, last week, <clears throat> we looked in a certain vein at uh, the time period that Yaakov spent in Haran, 14 years where he was working for Lavan's daughters, for wives, and the six years that he worked for the flock. And we raised the issue, the question of whether or not Yaakov was justified in staying in Haran for the latter six years. We discussed whatever we discussed last week, but lo and behold, as the world uh, often turns in this way, uh, on Shabbat I attended a shir by our Rosh Hashiva of Yaakov Meidan, in which he raised uh, this point. He took it in a different direction, and the place, the places that he went in his thinking, uh, in fact, uh, led me thinking in that direction with regard to Parashat Vaishlach. Rav Meidan put down as an assumption or as a very popular idea that Yaakov Avinu was tricked twice in Parashat Vaitzeh. Once he's tricked by Leah instead of Rachel. And in that treachery that Lavan did to Yaakov, when we ask ourselves what did Yaakov do to deserve that, it is a exegetical direction to say that this is somewhat in return for Yaakov, in fact, deceiving his father as to his identity. But there's a second treachery that Lavan does to Yaakov, though on this level Yaakov manages to survive a bit better, and uh, it is apparent from the parasha, without going into details, because this is last week's parasha, Parashat Ve'etzeh, but Yaakov says this very clearly in his big speech um, to Lavan at the end of Parashat Ve'etzeh, Vatechlefet Maskurte Aseret Monim, Lavan had also, when he came to the point in life where he had to pay Yaakov for his work, he tried to play games there as well and switch the salary and say, oh no, I didn't mean that, I meant this, and... Rav Meidan went into detail to prove this as well, but assuming that this is the case, and that seems apparent from the Pesukim, and certainly apparent from Yaakov's speech at the end, although as I said, Yaakov managed to survive this one well, and God was with him, in the sense that he helped him out to amass wealth despite Lavan's treachery, and as we see this because the Pesuk says that Yaakov amassed much wealth, and we see at the beginning of this week's parsha that Yaakov is able to send much in the presence that he sends to Esav. But the question remains then, to what reason did Yaakov deserve this treachery? And to this, Rav Meidan suggested the following answer, and that was 
when God appears to Yaakov at the end of the 20 years, at the end of the 6 years in which Yaakov is amassing his wealth, Yaakov quotes the Malach saying to him, Hashem says to, to Yaakov, listen Yaakov, you were sent to Haran to get yourself a wife. So in order to get the, the wife of your choice, you had to work 14 years. Seder. That's okay. But after that, you made a deal with me. You made a deal with me, God, that you would go back to Beit El, you would establish a Beit Elohim there, you would establish a Matseva. What happened to that deal? What exactly gave you the right to delay your fulfillment of this deal, fulfill, fulfillment of this vow, to come back to Beit El? It's time for you to pack up and go. So Yaakov had a deal to keep, and this is the way Rav Meidan presented it. Yaakov had a deal to keep with God in which he didn't fulfill, and in some ways perhaps didn't have a good justification not to fulfill. And the return for that is Lavan tries to cheat him out of his deal. That is Rav Meidan's thesis. He added one additional point, and that is, why Why indeed did Yaakov not just go back home after the 14 years? Why was he not content just to pick up and go? Lavan wasn't a great place to be. It was time to go. And, and Rav Midan suggested the following answer, that when Yaakov initially requests to leave after 14 years without amassing any wealth, the Pasuk says as follows, When Rachel gave birth to Yosef, Yaakov said to Lavan, Send me and I will go to my place and to my land. And the question should be asked, What is the connection between the birth of Yosef and Yaakov being ready to go back to his homeland? And Rashi answers an answer al-Derech Hadrush, not a simple explanation that relates to the text. And Ramadan suggested the following answer, that all the while that Rachel, his beloved wife, is trying to conceive, trying to get through a pregnancy, trying to have a baby, it's inappropriate to even think about traveling. However, now that Yosef was born, Yaakov Rachel has had her wish of having a child, so Yaakov can turn to Levan and say it's time to go. Now it's a relevant idea. All the time that Rachel didn't have a child, eh, it wouldn't be exactly the right time to travel. But now it's the right time to travel. However, Yosef is named Yosef, as Rachel said, Yosef Hashemli Ben Acher. Rachel said, I want to have another child. That is the name Yosef. I should have another child. And while Yaakov realizes that it's time to go back, Rachel's desire to have another child, and she is someone who it is not easy for her to conceive, not easy for her to have children, Yaakov 
is easily convinced by Lavan then to stay, because if anyway Rachel wants another child, and if she wants another child, traveling is out of the question right now. And yes, I have a nether, but Rachel wants to have another child, and Lavan is giving me an option here to amass wealth, so we'll wait. And God has to come and say to him at the end of the parsha, you know what, it's time to go. You don't know when Rachel is going to have a child, if she's going to have another child. You can't forever delay your return to Eretz Yisrael. You can't forever delay your your fulfillment of your neder. And already now, we can sense then, if this is the case, that things aren't going as smoothly, because Yaakov, instead of asking to leave as he did, Earlier on in the Parsha, as we say in Hebrew, Bekomaz Kufa, proudly, with nothing to show for no wealth, but he proudly asks to leave. Now he has to leave as a thief in the night. He ends up in this whole story cursing the person who stole the Trophim, which were, of course, who was, of course, his wife, Rachel, which a simple reading of the Tanakh implies that his curse was responsible for her ultimate death. Okay, but now he's on the way to Eretz Yisrael. He crosses in this week's parsha into Eretz Yisrael, and he meets Esav. This is his first challenge, and everything goes fine. Everything goes fine. All the fears of Yaakov petered out. Esav did not fight him. Esav left him alone. And now what? And now it's time for Yaakov to head down south to Beitel. And after Beitel, he should head down further south to Hebron and see his parents, who he hasn't seen in a very long time. However, a pasuk, a very innocent pasuk, that is one pasuk, there's not much there, but if we look at it with that perspective... Is a shocking pasuk. After the whole incident with Esav, Yaakov nasa sukot, vayiven lo bayit. Ule miknei wasa sukot, alkein kara shem makom sukot. Yaakov traveled to Sukkot and he built a house. I'm not suggesting that it takes two years to build a house as it as it once upon a time did, but Avraham Avinu was able to travel through the land in tents, much more transient method of traveling through the land, the house is a much more permanent fixture. And Rashi adds here that he was here for three seasons, for a summer, winter, and a summer, or a winter, a summer, and a winter, I don't remember what. What's going on? What happened? We move on to the next pasuk. Now he comes to Shechem. And now he's buying a plot of land where he's going to pitch his tent. What's he buying land for? Isn't he on the way to somewhere? What what happened to our whole plan? And then, of course, we have this awful story of Dina being taken into Shechem's house, Shechem having relations with her without her father's permission, without her permission, Shimon and Levi having to kill all the people in the city of Shechem, or at least in their mind, feeling that that was justified, and we won't go into that discussion this time around. And then, lo and behold, a pasuk that I've read 
many, many, many times, but suddenly after hearing Rav Meidan Shir last week, screamed out in a completely different tone, Vayomer Elohim El Yaakov, Kum Ale Bet El Veshev Sham, Vase Sham Izbech, La El Hanirei Lecha, Bavor Chacham Ipnei Esav Achicha. Suddenly, this previously innocent commandment that I read for many years that God is saying to to Yaakov is said in a completely different tone. God says, Elohim says to Yaakov, Elohim midat hadin, go to Beit El and live there. Va'aseh sham izbech, and there make an altar. He made an altar by Shechem. La'el hanirelecha bevorchacha v'neasavachicha. And Rashi comes along and says, and suddenly this Rashi, which I've also read several times before, but suddenly jumped out from the Psukim this year, he says, if you would have just gone to Beit El, like I told you in the first place, this whole episode in Shechem would not have happened. And this time Yaakov goes to Beit El. And along the way here, of course, again, we see that Chazal tells us that Rivka dies, so now Yaakov Avinu is never going to see his mother again. As they move along from Beit El, Rachel gives birth to Binyamin and dies in childbirth. And finally, finally, Yaakov reaches Hebron to his father. His mother's not mentioned, which, of course, strengthens Chazal's claim that Rivka died prior to Yaakov's arrival back in Hebron. And we go back and we say to ourselves again, Rebona Shalom, didn't Yaakov Avinu learn the lesson? Why on earth, once he got to Eretz Yisrael, once he got past Esav, well, we could have said if he got to Eretz Yisrael, but he hadn't yet made Esav, he was afraid to go further south, he didn't want to meet Esav, but he met Esav, it's finished. Now, he's home free to just charge down south, go to Beit Del, fulfill his, his vow, his oath, and then f- continue down to, to Hebron, to his parents. And what happened? He stops in Sukkot, he builds a house, he stops in Shechem, he buys land. What's going on? And the only answer I can come up with, once again, is the same answer that Rav Meidan came up with last week. Things were happening with Rachel. She got pregnant. Perhaps she had another miscarriage. If she had a miscarriage before, speculation. And he said, let's take a break for a while. Let's see how this pregnancy goes. And she miscarried, perhaps. And then it was already winter. We're not going to start traveling with all the children and the wives and the cattle in the winter. We'll stay put for a while. She got pregnant again, etc., etc. All this procrastination leads to them settling in Shechem. In Shechem, there's a disaster. Whichever way you look at it, whoever is right, whoever is wrong, this was a bad situation which would have preferably been avoided. And And God says enough. You can't do this anymore. You have to fulfill your oath. But then, Yaakov indeed travels, and when he travels, indeed, he loses his wife, because his wife doesn't survive childbirth, and it's very likely, as the Torah keeps on pointing out, she's baderech, 
She gave birth on the way and traveling, and she died on the way. And maybe all of the Yaakov's hesitation to travel is justified. See, when we traveled, she died. And the answer is, well, had he traveled seven and a half, eight years earlier, after the 14 years of working for his wives were up, Rachel didn't give birth any time soon after that. And had he traveled immediately from his inter- encounter with Esav down to Hebron and gone straight to Beit El and straight to Hebron, perhaps his wife would have been settling, settling down in Hebron for over a year before she had been Yamin, had an easy pregnancy, had an easy childbirth. But how could he have known? How could he have known what would have been? He couldn't have known. The only thing he knew was that he made a deal with God that he and he made a neder, he made a vow that he would go back to Beitel. And once his obligation for his wives were finished, he should have gone. And when he didn't get the point, God told him it's time to go. And yes, even after God gave him the commandment, he wasn't sure would Rachel give, conceive, would she manage to do the pregnancies for childbirth. And so he decided to stay put. But he shouldn't have. Because he doesn't know. And when we don't know and we, we speculate may, what it may be if we do this, if we do that, we can speculate from here till infinity. We have to ask ourselves, what are our obligations in life? And we do our obligations. Oh, you might say, but if I do my obligations, perhaps this and this might happen, and that would be bad. If it's perhaps, and you don't really know at all, then maybe you should just do your obligation and let God figure everything else out. And I think here is a very profound message for us that Yaakov Avinu, with all the good intentions, that his wife should have another child healthily. He wanted something good, but he had an obligation. And when we have an obligation, it is a questionable act to start procrastinating that obligation for reasons that are completely speculative and unclear if they are reasons at all. Maybe Rachel will not conceive ever again. So wait, we're going to procrastinate and procrastinate and procrastinate until she's past menopause, and then we'll go back to Eretz Yisrael? Can't know. Maybe this, maybe that. Nobody knows. And because nobody knows, the only thing that we can do, which is correct, is to fulfill our obligation. And here I think we see the Yaakov with good intentions, but had a very clear obligation from his vow and from God's commandment once, and unfortunately a necessary second command as well, that he had to go to Beitel, and he should have gone to Beitel without procrastinating. With everything being told about Rachel's state, he couldn't have known what will happen to Rachel, and therefore he had to just fulfill the obligation. He ultimately fulfills the obligation, but only after God really has to push hard to get it. One, two commandments, some very unsettling events that happen along the way as well. 
and ultimately ending in Yaakov's wife's death, perhaps at his own hand, whether it's from the curse, whether from his procrastination. And the message for us is, we aren't future tellers, we can't anticipate the future, we can't know the future, We can think about what our normal occurrences, everyday occurrences. We can assume that if we step off a, a five-story building, we will plummet to the earth and die. That's not a future-telling type of knowledge. But where it comes to places where we're completely speculating to procrastinate our obligations in the face of speculations is not a good idea. In those situations, it is best to fulfill our obligations and let God do the cheshbon as to what will happen afterwards. Because if we always try to anticipate and we always try to speculate as to what will happen, we can continue, we can stay grounded in our beds and never get up in the morning lest we walk outside into the street and get run over by a truck. And on that note, Hanukkah is coming up very soon, and yes, indeed, we will have to dedicate one or two Arab Shabbat programs to that topic. And on that note, Shabbat Shalom, and see you next week.